This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Hey everyone, so my guest today is Sharon Glassman. She's a designer, a songwriter, and the founder of Smile Songs, a musical greeting cards and gifts company. So I'm really excited to have her on More Than Work. Thanks for being here, Sharon. And where am I talking to you from today? You're talking to me from beautiful Longmont, Colorado. Oh, nice. How close is that to Denver where most people kind of know? About an hour north, a little less than an hour north. Well, so I guess we can just talk about what Smile Songs is really and go from there. Sure. Smile Songs is a line of musical greeting cards and gifts. And I use QR codes to make my products sing instead of plastic chips, which makes them eco-friendly. So they're really nice to people and they're really nice to the planet. Nice. So people will get the card and have a QR code in there. On the front. It's all, I weave them into the design. So it lets me do things like create singing stickers and singing wall art and singing magnets. Because again, with the QR, it's this mighty little device where you can make it look seamless in, in the art enough that people can find it, but not, you know, stick it out too much. And then, yeah, it really makes things sing from your smartphone and sing from anything that has, you know, that kind of technology. And it's really fun. Awesome. So when did you start using QR codes in your work? 2014, 2013, somewhere around there. I know when I started doing it, people said to me, some people got it right away. And some people said at that time, no one will ever use a QR code. No one ever, and I, you know, it's always that funny thing about never, you know, watch what happened. And so I was going on my way, really feeling in my gut that this was the right thing to be doing on any number of levels. And then sadly, because of COVID, but the world pivoted mm-hmm. and all of a sudden QR codes were ubiquitous and people had taught themselves how to use them. And now here was this super fun way that makes you feel really good when you interact with the QR code. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm just thinking it's so impressive that you saw that because I remember when QR codes, I remember I was working, well, whatever, for a company that we were developing a mobile app. And so we used that like download the app here. But then it was like, there was a lot of education for people around like, how do you get them to use the QR code? And then I think we were even saying, well, this isn't working. You know, it was frustrating. But then yeah, with COVID, it just kind of, it really took off. And I was like, oh man, the people like the people who thought of this first were probably just going, see, we told you it's going to be useful one day, you know? Yeah, I mean, the whole story of QR codes, if you'd like to nerd out a little bit, starts in the 70s in Japan in the automotive industry. And people were looking for a way to convey more information to a bar scanner. Mm. And so, you know, if you think about a UPC barcode, and then they dimensionalized it. I mean, they say it's kind of three-dimensional. I'm not Sure, in the sense, in what sense? I'm not that technological, but basically, by turning it into a square, there are a couple of things. You know, people complain that QR codes can be ugly and they can stick out, but the fact is, they're supposed to because that's what makes them yeah. so readable to the bar scanner. So it, it kind of came in that way, and then I think people started saying, "Well, now that we've got it doing this, you know, what else can we do? What else can we read?" And then, of course, when iPhones, I think around 2017, really started becoming mm-hmm. QR code friendly, then all of a sudden, everyone had this relationship, technological relationship, really readily available to them. And then it was, are they going to adapt it? Are they going to use it? And the Mm -hmm. answer is yes, they did. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, with the the phones, both the the major, 
I mean, I would say, you know, Google and Apple, and then you have everyone else, but, you know, who makes the Android phones, but, like, with them all kind of making it easy to do, too, yeah. which by force, kind of, but it's made it a lot better. So that's, I don't know, that's really cool. And did Smile Song start out as just you doing greeting cards, or how did you decide to go into that? And and we might want to go back further and just say, you know, you are a songwriter, and you are a musician and everything else. So I guess we can start with what you started with Smile Songs, but we'll be getting into all that too. Sure. So what happened was, like many performers, I'm an introvert. So Mm. I was playing at one of my favorite little spots, which is a cute little winery up here in the mountains. And someone came up to me after the show and said, wow, I really love your songs. I really love your vibe, like how you sort of energize the space. And they said, if only there was a way we could take you home and put you on the wall. Hmm. So we could hear your music every day and see the happiness you create. And I come from a creative services background before being a musician. And so customer service, client service, answering a a need really resonated with me. And I thought this is, you know, it was a kind of casual statement, I think, on one level. But I was like, this is a really interesting request. Hmm. Let me see what I can do. And so I started playing around with different things to see... Uh, what they would do. And I quickly pivoted because initially the idea was, okay, this person likes X song. I can illustrate it and I'll figure out a way to make it sing. But really what I started with the first idea to go back a little bit, I thought, oh, well, I guess what they're asking for is a music box. You know, I'll take this song that they liked and I'll make this music box. And, And I started running down that road and quickly realized it was the wrong road on for many reasons, but it occurred to me after a bit of research that when you think about a music box, it has that mechanical gear system on the inside. And really the box, as beautiful as it is, is just there to cover up the mechanical gear systems. And some cool catalogs will just send you the little, you know, mechanical gear and you can put it on your desk or whatever. But a friend of mine said, you know, I love you and I love your music and I love everything, but she goes, I don't like music boxes. I don't want a music box sitting on the shelf. And she was holding her phone. And I went, it was like one of those like aha moments. I went, oh, right. Mm -hmm. So our phones are today's music boxes, clearly. That's where we go to press a button on demand. We want to have that happy feeling. And so that was sort of where the QR code came in. And then at that point was going back to the products and saying, should it be posters? That's kind of cool. Should it be art prints? I made some singing t-shirts. I did a lot of things. And then really, again, going back to what makes people happy? What do people love? And Greeting cards are something that people, rightfully, I think, adore. And so then that pivoted Mm -hmm. into the greeting card world and then back to stickers and art prints and magnets. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, that's so cool. I do want to ask about your creative services background then because I would say not everyone I know who is a songwriter would go be able to go down this route and would be able to illustrate and then figure out the tech and everything else. So what were you doing before you had Smile Songs? Before I had Smile Songs... I had a hybrid career. I'm a voice actor for commercials, have been. The creative services part, I was, this is going back a while, but I was in one of the corporate departments at MTV Networks back in the day. And I started adding music back then, but didn't feel that I could be the musician. So I was was working in a department that essentially people would come in and say, "I, I need an ad for this. I need a commercial for that. I need like the Video Music Awards magazine. I need that done. And so our department would collaborate. And I was more on the writing side at that point. But mm-hmm. I seemed to be one of the first people in our department who said, well, hello, designer. Let's like sit on the floor and see if we can create something that's bigger than the sum of just art and illustration. And that was so much fun. And then at a certain point, I said, 
you know, wouldn't it be fun to take these TV promos and add some music into them? And I happened to find a guy who played guitar on the sales team and he, you know, I wrote a song about Dobie Gillis for some, for some reason they were, <laughs> they were airing Dobie Gillis and I, I forget what it was, but that was kind of my first, you know, attempt to add music to things. And it was so much fun and made people smile so much that I think that planted the seed. And from there, I went to performing stories on stage around the country and music began to creep into the stories I was telling. And all these things kind of came together with smile songs down the road here in Colorado, where I had these skills that were sort of waiting to be combined. And I taught myself digital illustration and taught myself music production and taught myself print production, <laughs> taught myself a lot of things <laughs> to make it happen. But it was really worth it. It was really like, I was like, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And all these things that I've done up till now really were almost like getting an education. Well, you're, you're doing the kind of DIY I would prefer, you know, which is like making your own. <laughs> art and sound production, everything versus, you know, if I had to put up a shelf or something. So that's, that's cool. I mean, it's cool. You tie yourself all that. So, so would you say you started out as a writer, but then you also had these like musical skills and other skills that were just adjacent to that? Or did you at some point early in your career think you were going to be more of a songwriter? Like how did that, that work when you're writing for commercials or ads or whatever versus songs? It's such a great question. I mean, I started out as a kid playing different kinds of instruments, but also growing up in a family where there was like, although it wasn't physically a big red flashing neon sign hung up in the kitchen in the living room and every other room saying, you will not do this <laughs> for a living. That was sort of the vibe. The vibe was like, you can do whatever you want for fun, but do not, do not <laughs> assume in any way that you will not be some sort of button-down professional when you grow up. So there was a big tug between what I knew I wanted to do and then what I felt I should be doing. And I think that's true for so many people across so many different other kinds of work. And so I loved writing. I mean, that's what I do as a songwriter. But I was like, okay, how do I make this more of a professional thing? I went to journalism school. I got accepted to law school and made a deal with my dad, who was a lawyer. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go to New York for like, a year, <laughs> and I'm sure I'll come back out to this deferred law school. And that was many, many, many years ago, and I'm sure they know I'm not coming. So it was, it was, <laughs> it was, so I, I was playing, backtrack, I was playing classical violin first, then I picked up guitar, you know, playing songs under the trees and loving all this stuff, and then put it away. And then writing took me down some very interesting paths. And I sort of put the music away until a certain point. I looked at my life and I said, wow, I'm a single person living in a one-bedroom apartment who runs a one-woman company. Maybe it's time that I do something more collective. And so I hauled out my violin and joined a community orchestra. And at that point, things really started to shift because I looked at the orchestra, which I loved, and I wrote a stage play involving classical music and what it's like to sit in the back row of a community orchestra. It's pretty awesome. There's huh. a lot of power dynamics and drama and things that, you know, it's an amazing world. But I also started to think, I'm not sure, I'm psyched to hear about people who've been doing this for 30 years and playing this symphony for 30 years and being in this orchestra for 30 years. I think that's awesome. But I don't think that's what's going to make my happiness come true. And I started playing a little bit of country bluegrass on the violin, which now calling it a fiddle. And many things happened to move me to Colorado. And I accidentally answered a Craigslist ad. I thought it said 
come jam around the living room, we will not be playing out. And I must have clicked on the one below it that said, come audition <laughs> for our country cover band. We will be playing out starting like next week. And so I went, not knowing it was an audition, passed the audition and started being a fiddler in a country rock band. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. God, and there's so much, I was, this is where I, anyone who says I don't listen well or I interrupt, they have now been challenged because I did not interrupt. <laughs> I did listen this entire time, and I had so many things I wanted to ask yeah, yeah. you along the way. So, firstly, have you seen Mozart in the Jungle? Yes, the I Prime love show? it. I definitely thought of, like, I mean, it's a different experience than you wrote about, but I just, I don't know, I thought of that right away. Like, you had an idea that has been on Amazon, or yeah, a different one. Yeah, and it was interesting. My, my play got optioned by a Broadway producer, mm. and I can never decide if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but at a certain point I just said, we're not a good fit. Like yeah. he kind of said, I said, I need musicians to play this, this classical music so we can hear it as we do the readings. And he said, Oh, you can just hum it. And I thought this is a pretty mm. big divide, a pretty big aesthetic divide. And so I said, no. And then several years later, Mozart in the jungle happened. And I was like, it's such a great, great setting. And all that drama and Bernadette, yeah. Peters, all that yeah, it was so fun. Yeah. I mean, it was so, fun. so great. So, yeah, I just think it's one of those great, people are super passionate, super earnest. If you take it to the community orchestra level, we have varying abilities, but, but the same passion. And I found that even more endearing mm -hmm. was like the idea of not being perhaps the most skilled, but perhaps being the most passionate. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You, I mean, I'm sure the, one of the goals was to get adoption. And so then it was, but then just realizing it wasn't a fit. And have you face that like in other areas and just as a creative person, but not wanting to compromise things. So I can see where that would happen to people a lot. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. Right. I know this was one of my big me saying no. So I'm not really a no person. I really do try to make mm. things work. I think about it now and it's interesting The play may be coming around to having another opportunity possibly where I live now, which cool. is really funny because I live in a town people call the Brooklyn of Boulder, Colorado. And so if it does happen, I don't I have no idea. We'll have to talk next year and find out. But if it does happen, it would be very interesting to me that years later, it cycled back to almost getting a second chance in another Brooklyn with another community orchestra with another. Yeah. It really hurt. I have to say, I mean, I just, you know, I always wonder if I'd been a better negotiator. Could I have like, you know, something, something. But I ju it just hit me in a place that I was like, this is I can't see yeah. this working out. And so... It was one of the biggest opportunities of my career, but I don't know what happens if you go down a road that your entire body is screaming, no, this is wrong. Mm. I think at that point I had to trust my gut because I, I think yeah. at a certain point you keep going down that road and your and the no probably just gets louder. And then what do you do? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I just, um, I think you trusting yourself is really, is, you know, remarkable. And that's the thing, right? Is trusting yourself to to know what's right for you or your work or whatever and it didn't there's a difference between it being ego or it being this is what's right and to me it sounds like you were doing what was right and not the ego part which is hard to do so yeah and, and I'm hoping that that's the case I mean I was like was I a big old brat I don't think so I just kept saying this is wrong this is this feels wrong this feels wrong yeah I'm yeah. hoping I'm really hoping I think trusting yeah. my gut and you know circling back to smile songs that's really been a case where creating something that's new which is something I tend to do bring things together merge things together that people don't normally think of as going together but they do and in the past 
I feel like I might have said, oh, maybe the world's right. Let's not do this. But we were smile songs. I was like, I absolutely 1000% know this is right. And it's proving true. But it does take a lot of making friends with crickets at some points in any creative <laughs> endeavor. Yeah, and it can be isolating and yeah, for sure. I do a few things. I do comedy, and which people are probably tired of hearing about, but I do comedy, so follow me on there. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> like, you know, just in doing comedy, it gets also very isolating, and then but then there are people you can work with, and you just have to figure out the balance, right? Yeah. Of, of that. So when you one thing you mentioned was you were telling stories around the country. So what did that look like? Was that just like a moth kind of thing, or was it? I did the moth very, very early on in Brooklyn. Gosh, I remember that was like, wow, that was, ooh, that was, <laughs> yeah. So what had happened was when I went to journalism school as an introvert, I was hoping for a way to help me get over my fear of interviewing people. I was terrified mm. of interviewing people. And the journalism school I went to was very old school. And their thought was, and they said on the first day, if you all didn't know how to report and write, we wouldn't have let you in. So we're not teaching that. We're just throwing you off the deep end and you, you know, you swim or you, or you drown. <laughs> not really my kind of <laughs> style of doing things. Yeah, yeah. So after journalism school, I started to look for a way that I could report stories and tell meaningful stories to people in a way that felt more compassionate. And so that's where I started telling stories on stage. I loved Spalding Gray and his style of storytelling. I, I divided the world at that point into two styles of storytelling. One was the Spalding Gray, more narrative. And the other one was the Eric Bogosian, more character-based. And they were both tremendously talented storytellers. But I really liked that idea of storytelling. And so the first thing I did was collect people's love stories. And I created what I called a Decameron, which again was so interesting to find out during the pandemic that that idea of going back to the Decameron was really popular. And are you familiar with Boccaccio's Decameron? No, I was just gonna ask actually. So it's considered, I think, the first novel in Romance languages. So we're going back to like the 1300s during the Black Death. And the idea is that 10 people in Florence, 10 young people who see that everyone in the city is dying of this horrible illness that no one can cure or control, go out to the country together. And they vow that for the next 10 days, they will all tell a story based on a theme mm -hmm. as a way of surviving and also thriving. And I loved that idea. And, and the stories are mostly, you know, they, they can be pretty sexy and out there. And, and my Decameron was, my work tends to be always pretty GPG, but was really about romantic love stories. And so I toured that around for a while and created a, a radio piece from that that aired on public radio. And then my next idea was to pursue the history of a woman I learned about in college, I'd spent a year in Italy named Laura Bossi, who was the first female professor of science or physics in Europe. Mm. She was a rock star, just incredible, had a ton of kids, had a happy marriage, was a terrible poet and knew it, but was like this genius scientist. And so I did a piece about her. And then I went and interviewed women in physics in the U.S., contemporary women in mm. physics in the U.S., and then ended up touring that piece around to universities for a couple of years. So I, I was just fascinated. And it's the same through line. I really feel like with everything I do is finding a story or a message or some way to communicate that makes people feel part connected and celebrated for their best self. And that was, that was super fun. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I, 
That's really cool. I just, I like that. There's a, there's a show that is in England called Tales of Whatever, and they'll kind of do a theme, and then you do five or ten minutes or something of a story, and it's such a different way of, of yeah, communicating your story. Like, it's so different, because you write something very differently, I think. Well, I think so. I think you write some for me, very differently to deliver it through spoken word or just, you know, just orally anyway, versus if people are going to be reading it and then taking it on their own. Yes. And did you find that too, I guess? And I think it took a while to get to that place. I think you're just spot on on that. Cause I used to love to write drafts of like drafts of these, you know, stage stories. Mm. And over time I began to realize it's not, like you're saying, it's not the words, it's the communication. And that is different when you're speaking to people than when you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's it's just awesome. So then when you ended up getting to Colorado and you auditioned for this bluegrass cover band and you're doing that, so is that the music project you mentioned a little bit ago that you're in now or is, are you in a few of them? I'm in a different one. That project lasted a couple of years and then I started my own band with a boyfriend who's now my husband, band, <laughs> boyfriend, <laughs> and he's also a fiddle player. So I pivoted from playing fiddle to playing guitar, and we've had different people with us over the years, and then I just recently started a project with one of the women who was in that early band, we're talking like over a decade ago, we remet and started an all-woman project, I guess we'll call it Americana Grass, called Five Foot Betty. And the tallest woman is 5'5", five five, so that's why we're 5 foot Betty. I'm 4'10". Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's just been tremendous. I, I've had a couple experiences of reconnecting with women that I've played with earlier after a big break. And we're all so grateful and so excited to be reunited. It's just one mm-hmm. of the most joyful things that I do. And we actually, I play some of the, my smile songs in those groups with like, you know, more instrumentation and more voices, which is really fun, but it's just, it's great. And I just can't say enough great things about it. It's, we're in that brand new honeymoon phase. So it's really exciting. Oh, yeah. So are you guys on Spotify or anything like that yet? Or have you recorded or what's, what are you doing right now with it? No, we're still in the, in the living room. Like you've caught us right at the very beginning. Right now we're doing these brunch collaborations in this really cool pop-up restaurant space downtown with a chef who is just this delightful creative chef. And our first project was a a country brunch and we did fried chicken and mashed potatoes and fried green tomatoes. And this one is an autumn brunch. And yeah, so we're just working on tunes for that. And then we'll probably start co-writing. And again, we'll probably have to talk again in a year and see what's happening, but it's just great. We're working on our three part harmonies and all that kind of stuff for down the road. So we're, we're in the woodshedding woodshedding but getting to eat phase which is a really nice combination that is that is a nice place to be well especially if you're gonna be at a brunch place right <laughs> would be awful they're like yeah you can't eat though and we can't afford to so right exactly <laughs> now last time i got to eat mac and cheese with my fingers in the car on the way home i was, the little joys of life are ginormous that was amazing it was like the best <laughs> that's so cool so getting back to smile songs since we started there and then i just like brought you on all kinds of other places and one thing you've mentioned too is that like you really think that music has the power to deliver happiness and I think smile songs is definitely a reflection of that but also just in talking to you I mean I can I see that theme kind of you're mentioning the through line with you is like you're always trying to 
find a way to do that. And that's what I, I'm getting from you. But when you look at Smile Songs and how's that working for you to deliver happiness to others, I think it's a little obvious, but I want to hear it from you anyway. Sure. So I have the wonderful experience of being able to go out into the community. I mean, I sell Smile Songs in different ways. I sell it wholesale to other stores. I sell online. I sell in different ways. But there's also maker markets where I get to go out into the community and stand there and literally watch people of all ages the grins on their faces and jump up and down the way they jump up and down when they interact with these musical cards and stickers is just the whole meaning of life for me. It's really exciting because it's one thing to have an idea and it's another thing to actually just be there in a neutral space and see, are people really going to get this? And they really do. And kids will run up and they'll, they'll see it and, and I'll see, you know, tweens and teens just go, yeah, that's really cool. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. My life, my <laughs> life is complete. Awesome. Yeah. And you cover a lot of themes like any greeting card has to really in, in your store online that when I reviewed things and listened to some, which I definitely think people should check it out. But how do you go about writing those songs? And is it any different than maybe other songwriting you do? Kind of like we just talked about the spoken word or the writing for delivery on stage versus writing for reading. Are these songs different than songs you would perform with your band? I mean, you just said your band performs some of them. So how's that all been working for it you? It is very different. And I think that's a really keen observation. And I think the analogy you make is really right. That there's a difference between writing for the spoken word and then writing for print. There's also a difference for me, songwriting and then smile songs writing. And if I had to describe smile songs, I would say they're kind of like jaunty jingles for real life. They tend to be shorter and they're focusing on a message that I either know that people want to hear, that they need to hear, that they're hungry to hear, or that my gut tells me will resonate. So I have one song that's literally just about doing the thing you're scared to do. And it lets you shout out in the middle of the song what that thing is. You can laugh about it because it's just kind of a scientific fact that you can't be scared about something and laugh at it at the same time. Those things do not mm. exist. I don't. Are you a Stranger Things fan at all? I I saw like two episodes. Okay. So there's a plot. I don't think yeah. I'm spoiling anything, but in the last season, there's a big subplot about the power of music. Okay. That has a similar thing, but I won't go into it because. Oh, is that why the Kate Bush song yes. got this resurgence? Yes. Okay. I will watch it eventually, but I haven't. But yeah. But so there, there's just that idea. So I feel like with Smile songs. And again, in a more time-sensitive way, because people want to interact with the gift and they, they want, I know, within the first, I would say really within the first 10 seconds, I might stretch it to 30 sometimes, they want to know that this song is saying exactly what the Carter sticker says mm-hmm. or promises to do. Whereas with a song song, in some ways it might be quite the opposite. You have the build and like the instruments might come in and you've got almost the tease and the lyric and then it resolves in the chorus and you go, oh, now I got it. Now I know what this is. Cool. But they, I think people want to go on more of a journey. But I do know that with Smile Songs, and I will play some of them in the band when they cross over, but not all of them would do that. And I don't think they should. So I don't think I'm going to yeah. play, you know, I did the thing I'm scared to do. I met my fears and waved them through. And now I'm saying high five you. You did the thing you're scared to do at a brunch. <laughs> Right. Yeah, they're like, okay. Yeah, like, what? (laughs) Why? What? But it's a different use for me of the powers of music. This one is 
more direct and more obvious, I think in a good way that goes with that kind of experience, the greeting card yeah. the sticker. And I've tried it other ways. And again, I was just recently at a maker market. I have a new card and sticker that has a wild child on it. It says wild child, there's a rainbow. Mm-hmm. And the first draft of the song kind of said like, here's to the power of the wild child. And I immediately thought Mm-mm-mm. the wild child wants a you. And so the, the revise oh. of it says, here's to your bold soul, wild child. So that when someone's huh. listening to it immediately, they're like, right, this is about me. It's them. I'm super cool. Yeah. You're celebrating me. Let's talk about me. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the lessons I'm learning. And it's really exciting to realize how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of, I mean, because it is a product too, right? Yes. Even though it's, it's songs and it's art, but it's a, a product. And I think that that's an interesting kind of merging of things too, in a way. Right. It goes back to that creative services or a being of service, right? So that, mm-hmm. and thinking about the end user and the, and the customer, like, you know, one thing about, and I'm sure you may have experienced this as well, when you're shopping for something and it's for somebody else, you kind of mm-hmm. want it to be right to make that, yeah. make that person happy. Yeah. So I feel that people are really looking for reassurance as am I as a consumer, like if I'm buying something, if it's for myself, I want it to fit or make me look good or whatever it is. If I'm buying it as a gift, I want it to make that other person happy. So how do I know that's going to do that? And especially when it's something different. So these are all the factors that go in. So it's creative, but it's also really kind of, like you said, a product. And so it needs to be a solid business thing. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And I just like how you, you know, the way you do look at things and why do you think it's this combination of things that makes people happy too, just in, in general? Cause it's something you've put together, but you've thought through it over time. Yeah. I think the important thing for me is that smile songs, they, they sort of engage multiple senses. And what I say to people and they nod their head is that when we're happy in the real world, it's with more than one sense. So You might be feeling the breeze on your skin while you're tasting something delicious, while you're hearing something that makes you laugh. And so paper, we've always thought about as being something that, you know, has a texture certainly and has a a graphic design on it, most greeting cards, and that would stop. But I was like, why not? Why not imitate or try to replicate as best I can the way happiness works in the real world by tapping multiple senses? And it really does seem Mm. to make people so happy, which makes me happy. Yeah, for sure. That's great. It's really cool. So one thing that I like to ask everybody is just, do you have any advice or mantra that you want to share with listeners? Wow. I'm looking at my go with the flow print right now. So I guess I'm going to, I'm going to run with that, which is, I think that the path from A to B for any of us or all of us doesn't always go in a straight line. Like, and I think the obstacles can also be invitations to just kind of redirect or, or see where that's going. It's like, wow, that was a really big obstacle. Huh. What, what, what's going on here? As opposed to trying to necessarily think that, you know, what, what the end point's going to be or how to get there. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, kind of taking direction from the way things are going and, I don't want to sound too Boulder County, like to trust in in the path, but I do think that things tend to work out. Maybe not the way you think, but they do tend to work out and it can be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just accepting that. Totally. 
my last set of questions is called the fun five and they're just questions I ask every guest that just things that I want to know. So what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? So the oldest, all right, it's a two-part answer. The oldest t-shirt I have is a t-shirt I got when I moved to Boulder, Colorado. That was just the world's most perfect t-shirt. I don't know why. It was the softest. It was the cutest. It had like a wide bottom. It, it was amazing. And unfortunately, it has so many holes that I use it now at, to wipe my computer screen. So not really wearing it. But, <laughs> but I love it. And if I could find another one. And then I, one of my t-shirts, that's the oldest one that I still wear, is one of my Introvert AF musical t-shirts has a QR code in the neck that actually sings an introvert power song. And it was when I was considering making t-shirts, which I opted not to do for environmental reasons and a lot of other reasons, but I love it to pieces. And so I, I work out in it most, most mornings. Nice. Yeah. And I actually, we didn't mention it. So just the environmental aspect of things. I mean, you definitely consider that in your work and it's fine. I'll disrupt my fun five. This is one of the first times I've ever done this, but were you always, did you always have that sense of conservation and caring for the environment? Or is it something that kind of happened as you moved to Colorado and we're in a different place? I think it's been with me as long as I've known that I've been alive. I just think it's something that I look at trees, I look at the grass, I look at the sky. I'm, there's so much beauty there. And yeah, I want to be as kind to the world as I can. Yeah. Yeah, because I like the, the QR code thing, too. I mean, you, you have, you've, like, removed all this plastic and everything from the cards. And a lot of those cards, like, over time, you just throw them away anyway. But yours, you could just have the QR code. So it's it's cool. So, all right. So the next question, though, if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like it seemed during the pandemic especially, but sometimes our lives are like that anyway, what song would you have your alarm set to play every morning? So not to be the, the difficult child, but no alarm, because that sound gets me... It's really overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to say, I'm really not this Boulder County, everybody, but I would say birdsong. Like I would like to hear the birds outside the window. If I have to have a wake up, that's going to be every single day. Birds outside the window would, would be number one vote. And our neighbor's dog, who seems to get up before, between 5.20 and 6.15. And a really sweet dog, big barker. I would take the dog bark or, or the birdsong. Wow. Okay, cool. And coffee or tea or neither? Decaf coffee. It used to be highly caffeinated coffee. And then I'm doing this migraine elimination diet thing, so no caffeine anymore. Oh. But I tried tea for six months, and I got to tell you, even though it's decaf, I make the world's strongest no, no caffeine coffee, and it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. And I hope, the, I hope it's helping, yeah. too. Can you think of a time that you just laughed so hard you cried, or just something that cracks you up when you think of it? I... I'm a total sucker for Baby Shark. I love Baby Shark so much. <laughs> Even talking about it makes me laugh. And I'm really lucky now we have a three-year-old who lives next door, a two-and-a-half-year-old. And she's all about Baby Shark. So I've got, like, you know, we shark out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, and the last one, who inspires you right now? Such a good question. I would say my neighbor, not well, the two-and-a-half-year-old definitely inspires me, but her dad is one of my big inspirations right now. One of the nicest people I've ever met. So lucky when you have neighbors who move next door and you're like, yeah. wow, this is awesome. He's a healer, but also a very practical person, genuinely kind, an amazing dad. Yeah, I'm lucky to have like, I think the world's best next door neighbor. Maybe yours is also awesome. So we can have a tie on that. <laughs> mine is okay. not. So no, okay. <laughs> no. So that's actually really nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, mine's, mine are something. But that's what you get living in the city in a flat, you know, oh, yeah. it's just kind of, yeah. 
Cool, that's great. So how do you want people to find you online and where do you want them to go? Well, smilesongs.com is a great place to start. You can always reach out to me through the website. And I have a secret little code. If you want 20% off on your first order, you can go to smilesongs.com slash VIP and sign up for the email list. I email very infrequently because I'm a terrified introvert who doesn't want to offend anybody. So it won't be too annoying. I am on Instagram at smile underscore songs. I think those are the two best places to find me. You'll probably find links to Five Foot Betty somewhere floating in there. We're on the Insta, but again, we're brand new. But I'd say, yeah, the Smile Songs website and Insta at Smile underscore Songs are great places to find me. Okay, awesome. Well, Sharon, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm I'm really glad we got a chance to meet. So thank you. Thank you, Ravi. This has been great. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.